0: Shema uh, three times a day the hero Israel Um, uh, liturgy we must understand was part of the way Jesus prayed Um, I know that in our sort of gloriously non-religious house churches. Oh, sorry, I've got to stop moving. Uh, Gloriously non-religious house churches, we we sort of tend to be anti-liturgy and we've developed a whole new set of liturgy instead of liturgy. Uh, But Jesus undoubtedly would have uh, prayed the hero Israel three times a a day. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it, therefore, that uh, in the um, earliest records, the Didache, uh, we we find that at the very times where the regular times of prayer would have taken place in the temple and the good God-fearing Jews would have stopped and prayed the Shema, uh, they are instructed, the early church is instructed to stop and pray the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. And so um, we see both uh, rhythms of uh, prayer, liturgical prayer, and also, of course, a spontaneous prayer, the kind of prayer we're probably more used to, and they, w- they would both have been familiar. Uh, but for the disciples, they clearly they see Jesus going and praying. Remember what I said earlier, that you know, the main way that we will get our churches praying is to, is to model it. Out of the Gospels, Luke's Gospel is the one that talks the most about prayer but it mostly does so by just talking about how much Jesus prayed and he led by example and so there's something the disciples that realize if we're gonna grow up and uh, be like our rabbi we're gonna have to learn to pray that's clearly where he's getting his power from, where he's getting his revelations from he even tells them explicitly, I only say what I hear my father say, I only do what I see my father do and uh, They would have been comfortable with the sort of liturgical prayers but they are seeing this sort of spontaneous intimacy he's got with the Father and they're saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And so they're not dissimilar in a way to you and I in that we've all got prayer lives, I'm sure. But we come to this place of saying we want more and we want to go deeper. And I've talked to several of you even over lunch who've uh, said that you are in that place. Because the disciples went on to have extraordinary prayer lives where rooms shook and the dead were raised and the sick were healed and they prayed sometimes all night and they prayed for their persecutors. But there comes this moment where they hold up their hands and say, Lord Jesus, please would you teach me to pray? And I really reached that point after I'd planted my second church. Um, and things were going quite well, and yet within me I started to get this deep hunger and thirst to really know God better. I wasn't a new Christian. You know, I was regularly preaching, I was attending the prayer meetings, but I knew that I was tired of telling second-hand stories. I was, I was, I was tired of. Uh, outsourcing my prayer life and I just I, I, I was secretly a little scared I think that one day I'd stand before Jesus tell him all the cool stuff I'd done for him and he'd say yeah but we didn't really hang out much did we I never knew you and so uh, in the summer of 1999 I was awake in the night often weeping and praying and saying God I just want to know you and not as a new Christian but as a pastor and a leader and a church planter I want to know you St. Augustine once said, you have put salt on our lips that we might thirst for you. And um, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, and I think especially as leaders, is, uh, is a work of deep discomfort. Deep disruption. It doesn't feel nice. You get this in the Bible all the time. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. And what do we do? We put a nice, pretty Bambi tune to it. You know, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul. It should be screaming blues riff. You know, this is not Bambi. This is a a deer so dying of thirst that its tongue is cracked and stuck to its mouth and it's going to be a bunch of bones if it doesn't find water and it's saying I've got to get water, right, or I die. This, this is a craving, a longing, I must know you God, more than I must be a good pastor, more than I must plant another church, more than I must get some great opportunity, or write some book, or uh, have some label on my life, evangelist, or Bible teacher, or prophet. I just want to know you and they can call me anything they want, right? Isn't that what you got into this for? Isn't that the deep longing of your soul? One day every single one of us stands alone before our Maker. We cannot hide behind our wives. We cannot hide behind our ministries. We are naked before God and that is all that will be left of your life. Whatever inhabits that space between you and your Creator at that moment, that is the substance of your life. And so we come to that place and say, God, I am thirsty to truly know you. To know that I am known by you. And the danger is that as we go on in leadership it gets harder to even admit those things to our own souls because we're so quick with all the answers to the questions that we never live with the question for long enough. And you know in the early days you first get saved and your heart is after God and every time there's an opportunity to respond you're at the front. You know it's uh, how to breastfeed your child for Jesus seminar and you're there at the front responding because you respond to anything and as the years go on you start to think what will people think if I respond Then you stop and gradually your heart gets a little harder and we call it growing up but it's not really and so yeah summer of 99 I just got hungry and thirsty for God by his grace I got deeply discomforted You know the role of a pastor is to, you may have heard this, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Those those are your two jobs. (laughs) What a gracious thing it is when we're comfortable and we get afflicted. And on this, you know, I, I often say I don't think there's anybody on earth that's got a prayer problem. we just have a comfort problem because you don't get someone you know going to get the test results and finding out that they've got a terminal illness saying I really would love to be able to pray about this right now but I just I have a prayer problem I find it too difficult to pray people just cry out to God right and so sometimes in his grace he discomforts us He puts salt on our lips that we might thirst for Him. How do we grow in our prayer lives as leaders? Complicated sometimes. Do you hear that story about the beer joint in Texas? Do you hear this one? Drummond's Bar in Mount Vernon. So this this bar is thriving and expanding. And they decide they want to do a great big extension. And the local Baptist church thinks this is terrible. And so they begin to organize petitions and prayer meetings against Drummond's Bar, extending its evil premises. And um, the day before Drummond's Bar is about to open its extension to the public, lightning strikes and the whole place burns to the ground. So all the Christians are there celebrating the power of prayer, And so, it's absolutely true, the landlord of Drummond's Bar uh, takes them to court and he sues the Christians for, I quote, he says, they are ultimately responsible for the demise of my premises, whether through direct or indirect means. So the church responds by vehemently denying all responsibility for the destruction of the bar and at the opening hearing this is what the judge said I don't know how I'm going to decide this it appears from the paperwork that we now have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire congregation that doesn't (laughs) prayer can be uh, bewildering and confusing and difficult and wonderful and glorious. I just, if I may, want to give you four quick keys that have helped me. And I, I, there were some questions beginning to surface earlier um, about about my own prayer life as a leader and some of the things that maybe I've learnt. The first key to growing our own prayer lives and therefore growing the prayer lives of others is very obvious but very important. It is desire. It may sound obvious, but it's, in, it's actually, I think, quite profound. If you desire God as the deer pants for the water, you will pray. And so we don't do ourselves or anyone else any favor if we frankly have lost our desire for God and we just deny that. And I often find myself saying to people, well, here's a good idea in prayer or here's a strategy or here's something to help you. But the real issue is they've just lost their desire for God. And I don't think we should beat ourselves up for it too much. I mean, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? You know, you're a, a Christian leader and you've lost your desire for God. But here's the deal. When I was a student, uh, our local pizza hut did a special offer where you pay for one pizza and then you could have as much pizza as you could eat. And all of the male students took this as a personal challenge, right? You you can imagine the scenario. And so we would starve ourselves in the build-up to Thursdays, which was the day, and, you know, save up our our pennies. And and, and then the moment would come, you walk in a pizza hut knowing you were going to be able to eat as much pizza as you could imagine and you'd almost be weeping with anticipation you know and the smell of the the cheese draped over the warm bread you know, it was the most heavenly thing and those first few mouthfuls you're singing the hallelujah chorus you know and then like by your second pizza it is good but it's not quite as good by your third pizza I can tell you this as a man speaking from personal experience with great authority on the matter, that every mouthful you're, you're having to do the old put it in your mouth, chew and chew and then take a swig of drink to try and get it down you, right? By your fourth pizza, the most revolting thing on earth is what? Pizza. Has the pizza changed? What's changed? Your appetite. You've lost your hunger God is good all the time but how we engage with his goodness very much depends on our hunger our desire and um, okay another little story so when I finished writing one of one of my books a, a book called Red Moon Rising you know I I, I type with these two fingers. I think I've written either four or five books. Can't remember, and they're all done with those two fingers, like it's like a woodpecker on acid. Like. And, and I've spent weeks just staring at the screen until my eyes are dry as the Gobi Desert and square, you know. And my wife is like a, a widow, and my kids don't know who I am anymore. They're just feral, you know. I've just been writing, and I've been really looking forward to this moment when I will you know, finish the last word and press send and send it off to the publishers at the deadline. So the moment comes and um, I call the children into the study. Come, my children, fruit of my loins, join me. You know, come wench, provider of tea and cakes, come. Gather around the great glowing thing. and. Um, and then we said a little prayer and I got the kids to you know, position the mouse and press send and off goes the file. And it was, a be- it was actually a serendipitous moment because but by the grace of God, um, at that exact moment suddenly um, uh, an ice cream van came past and, duh, 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 and the kids were like, ice cream! It was, if I'm making a movie, it was perfect, you know. And I'd been uh, uh, fantasizing about this moment for a long time, and I thought, I know exactly what I'm going to do when I don't have to write this wretched book anymore. There was a pub near us at the time uh, that had two vital ingredients. One was leather couches, and the other was a play area for the children. Right? Who thinks this sounds good right now? Yeah. So, so we go there, and I fall into this leather couch exhausted and I say children go forth play behold the swings and the slides uh, take as long as you like you know go in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus go and um, one of them just runs out screaming ah! off to the slides and swings the other one runs to the door stops at the door and turns back and looks at me he looks out at the playground and he looks back at me and he turns around and he comes back to me and he climbs into my lap and snuggles right into me He says, Daddy, I've missed you. And he wouldn't leave me. Now I did not start loving him more than the other son. He did not become more my son in that moment. But I cannot tell you how much his love ministered to my weary father's heart. And so in prayer we have this opportunity to desire God beyond the minimum. To choose His presence when we don't have to. Yes, there's always the great list of things to pray for, but what about the times when we don't seek God for what He can do, but just to be with Him as our Father? when there's the slides and swings that in His grace we are free to use and yet we choose His presence instead of the TV program or the pint down on the pub or whatever else. How does that minister to the Father's heart? You know, I think my prayer life is at its best when I'm praying not the biggest prayers but the smallest prayers. The example I always use is this, um, there's a very clear moment in my life, I know exactly where I was. I was walking down a particular street, actually in Chichester, and uh, God spoke to me as clearly as I think he's ever spoken to me in my life. And he said to me, Pete, look at that tree. So I, I mean, it's so dramatic, I'm like, oh! and, I, and I'm staring at this tree, thinking this is like my burning bush moment. And I mean if you'd seen it you'd have thought this guy's nuts, you know. And not just nothing happened. So I'm just frozen staring at this tree, waiting for something to happen. Nothing happens. So after a while I go, Okay Lord, I am looking at the tree. What now? And I really sense God saying to me, Dude, I just thought it was a really great tree. you get so intense about everything, just really pleased with that tree and I hear myself going good job on the tree Jesus, well done, yeah, brilliant tree. Can you hear how that's your prayer life at its best? When you're talking to God about the little things and the small things and the inconsequential things like give us this day our daily bread in a land where Tesco's is full of the stuff? See, people say, should we pray for parking spaces? <laughs> that great thorny theological issue of our time. No doubt one of Andrew Wilson's ten yesterday. Here's my profound reflection on whether we should pray for parking spaces or not. If you only ever pray for big things, you'll only ever be grateful to God occasionally. Occasionally. But if you learn to pray about simple things especially inevitable things then you'll live with infuriating gratitude all the time. Right? Does that make sense? So don't get buried in did God provide that parking space or not? Just if you want to learn with gratitude, to live with more gratitude pray about more small stuff. Yeah? And so press in to uh, this relationship with God. I know this is your heart. There are times he discomforts us to pull us back not into minimum prayer but maximum prayer where we choose the Father's lap instead of the playground. Where our hunger is renewed for the slice of pizza. And where we pray about the small stuff and not just the big stuff. C.S. Lewis says, Our worst prayers may really be our best. God seems to speak to us most intimately when he catches us off. God. You know, we read in Mark 1 verse 35, it's just one of the occasions actually, where Jesus got up early whilst it was still dark to pray. So that's before you've got lamps, you know, electric lights and torches and that stuff. And, he must have been doing the old thing, fumbling around, trying not to wake anyone else, trying to get out of the house without disturbing people. Because he was more desperate to be alone with his father than any of his disciples. And if you read a few verses earlier in Mark chapter 1, so verse 32, three verse earlier, you find that Jesus the night before had been up late ministering to the sick long after sunset. So it's not just that he preferred the mornings and he'd had an early night so he could get up early and have his quiet time. He had had a short night, but he still got up to seek the presence of the Father. And I think that that isn't the sign of just someone with a disciplined prayer life. That is the sign of someone who has a desperate longing to be with the Father. Maybe today the challenge for some of us as leaders is simply to be honest that we've lost some of the desire for God that we once had and to say you know that's okay sometimes that's just life does that to you busyness does that to you we can't live our whole lives at a fever pitch of emotional sort of vulnerability and desperation it wouldn't be healthy but there are seasons he calls us back in to press in and pursue him But that does lead into the second key for me. If the first is desire, unless we desire God, we won't really pray, or if we do, we'll do so out of dull religious duty. But the second key to me to growing in prayer as a leader is discipline. It is discipline. And I don't think that has to be legalistic. I'm sure you agree with me on that. I, I, I see, you'll have your own frameworks for this, but I see this in my relationship with Sammy, my wife. You know, when we first fell in love, we, we just were besotted with each other. I could hear her name and be, you know, we didn't have to schedule time together. We just like, we would be together whenever we could. We'd talk for hours on the phone. I have no idea what we talked about on the phone. We tried to rediscover it recently, actually. We went away for a night, and we said, let's not talk about work or the children. Anyone else ever done this? <sighs> it's a nightmare. We gave up after about half an hour. Disaster. Do you know what? You'll relate these days we book in date nights. Anyone else do this? Yeah? Good principle. Yeah. Date nights. And you try telling that to an 18 year old who's newly in love and they look at you like, you sado. That will never happen to me. We have passion. We don't need to diary our passion. We have, it's spontaneous. But what we know is this, that we're all a good few years closer to being the old couple walking down the seafront with wrinkly hands, holding hands, still in love, faithful over all the years and all the tears, still loving one another, still true to our covenant. Why? Because when the passion and spontaneity died off, we put disciplines in place that would reawake the passion week by week, month by month, and year by year. Amen? It's got to be. And if we think that just somehow passion for Jesus is going to carry us through 50 years, 60 years, 70 years without disciplines to keep fueling the fire then of course we are mistaken. Desire without discipline dissipates. Discipline without desire suffocates. Desire with discipline activates. The way that and you guys will relate to this. Those of you done 24-7, I find the way that pr- the 24-7 prayer rooms work is this. I get excited about Jesus at church on Sunday and say, Yeah, I'm going to pray at 3 a.m. Tuesday morning. Can't think of anything better. Whoa, yeah, it's 3 to 5. Woo! Sign up, highlight a pen, make sure a few people notice. You know, 3 a.m. Tuesday. Woo! Alarm clock goes off 2.30 a.m. Tuesday morning. After a long day on Monday and a long day to come on Tuesday, and I just think this is the worst idea in world history to interrupt my sleep for this. Why can't I pray at home, stupid Pete Greg? You know, and I, ha- and I have to go to the prayer room because there's some poor soul that can't go home until I arrive. It's nothing to do with Jesus. It's just like legalism that gets me there. You know, I just got to do it. So I drive across town grumbling. In fact, sometimes when I'm doing prayer slots at HTB, it's like an hour's drive. Mm, horrible. And then I get there, and someone with coffee breath prays over me with a really bad attitude. And then they leave, and the door shuts, and I'm alone in a room with God in the middle of the night. And honestly, nine times out of ten, he just meets with me in ways that I don't want to do anything but stay in his presence. One time out of ten, it's just a hard slog, right? Discipline helps keep desire alive. So, can I particularly encourage you? You may already do this. Let's make one another accountable over our prayer lives as leaders. You probably do this already. But it interests me, we we tend to be very focused on, you know, you know, how's your sex life, or lack of it? You know, or you're trying to help each other not sin by asking each other the awkward questions. I hope you do. I'm sure you do that for one another. We have to create cultures in which it's acceptable. We give people vocabulary that, when someone says, "How are you doing?" and stares in your eyes, you know that it doesn't just mean, "Yes, I'm fine." Isn't a lovely day? You know, all that. But let's actually rediscover the power of sometimes saying, "How's your prayer life?" How are you doing? How are you and God? How's your heart? How's your soul? You know there's a lovely story about the East African revival of the last century and in the jungles people would um, they, they lived in, in, in these sort of communal grass huts and uh, they couldn't, it was very hard to find space to pray and so what people would do is they would go and find their own little clearing in the jungle to go and pray and as a result a track would form from the front of each uh, house into a particular spot in the jungle because every day they'd be going in and out to their prayer space and um, there's this lovely story that um, sometimes they would say to one another my brother, my sister, I have noticed there is grass on your path You know, we need relationships or we can say to one, my brother, is there grass on your path? My sister, is there grass on your path? Or are those daily disciplines still in place that will help the desire to last the decades? Before we move on from this one, let me just say again, there is grace to faith. Of course there is. Isn't it encouraging that have you ever noticed how brilliant at sleeping the Apostle Peter was? He was spectacular at it. You know, Mount of Transfiguration. He's asleep on a mountain. And then Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, if Jesus, you may think you're bad at prayer, but if Jesus looked you in the eyes and said, look, it's kind of a big moment for me. I've pampered you and two others. Can you just stay awake for one hour. Could you just keep watch for one hour for me? I, I guarantee every person in this room would say, do you know what, it is Jesus, and it's only an hour. I'm kind of tired, but I, I think I can stay awake for an hour, right? No matter how bad you think you're up, some of you are like, no. <laughs> Peter falls asleep even then, and again, it's like on rocks. He was brilliant at sleeping. And Jesus still used him. But I do find it encouraging that in Acts 10, that great hinge moment in the whole explosion of the gospel out in the Gentile world, that we find that Peter was on the roof praying at 3 in the afternoon. That was one of the temple prayer slots. So he was developing and pursuing his own disciplines in prayer. And it was at that time of disciplined prayer that he receives the vision of the blanket coming down from heaven. And then the, uh, the messengers arrive at the door. And so there's grace and there's discipline together. John Maxwell says, You will never change your life until you change something you do daily. So as we stir one another up towards love and good deeds, as we seek to disciple younger leaders, let's help them to develop delightful disciplines that draw them close to Jesus and keep them in that place thirdly dialogue a desire and discipline dialogue you know this and yet I know I often fail, I often come to God with my prayer list I could share it to you and there's so much to get through and so many things to pray for that I can be very bad at just stopping and listening. You know this is be still and know that I am God. That be still thing, the, the original word is wakare. And it's the root, V-A-C-A-R-E, it's the root of the word vacation. So one Bible scholar said you can paraphrase be still and know that I am God as take a vacation from being God and let me be God instead. <laughs> it's good isn't it prayer is the place in which we say I don't have to lead this church I don't have to save the world it's your responsibility and it's your glory my wife told me I had to tell you this so I'm going to tell you now one of the ways I'm praying at the moment is with a lucky dice. Here it is. Some of you are looking a little worried. This is an eight-sided dice. Normally used by fourteen-year-old boys who are into Dungeons and Dragons. I bought it off the internet. But it's that whole um, blind Bartimaeus thing. You know, I told you earlier that Jesus challenged me. He's, I was praying prayers, but they were a little vague not very specific and um, you know so uh, I I realized for example I would stopped praying for my wife's complete healing I just thought this is probably as good as it's gonna get I realized I was praying vague prayers for my kids God bless them at school today help them and into it all Jesus steps and he says but what do you want me to do for you? you know, and you're thinking you're God, you're men to know, but he wants us to articulate it. So I sat down and I thought, what specifically do I want God to do? What are the big prayers? And I realized I have eight big prayers. Now, if you haven't done this already, I'd encourage you. Work out what your prayers are. And you can buy dice with the number of prayers you've got. And each number on this dice is equated to a particular prayer in my life. Five, that one's a particular one to do with my writing. Four, that's a particular one uh, to do with one of my kids, and so on. And so, um, so I, it's, qu- it's quite fun. Any idle moment, I just, okay, and then, you, and then I know the pr- And what I've done is, with each of the prayer requests, I've just got hold of the promises of God. And I've said, okay, God, what is your promise into this thing? Uh, you know, there are prayers for the local church, there are prayers for 24-7, uh, and so on. And um, let me give you an example of how powerful it's been for me. I've started to become a lot more specific in my prayers. So um, in praying for my kids, I realized, okay, my prayer request is this. Let them grow in uh, wisdom and favor, you in know, stature before man and God. You know that lovely thing it says of Jesus. And I really got hold of that scripture I thought, yes, that's what I want you to do. And I tacked on and let, uh, and let them grow up to uh, marry girls who love you as well. <coughs> didn't find a Bible verse for that one but I'm claiming it anyway. And um, and so I've been daily, you know, praying, not just God bless my kids, but God I wanna pray today that they would grow uh, in wisdom and I start to think about what it means for them to be to grow in wisdom at school and what it means for them to grow in wisdom in terms of their morality and one of them's fourteen and there's all sorts of wisdom issues around that. Uh, and then I start to think about how what does it mean to grow in stature before man and before God, and so on. And uh, it's been helpful. And then, you know, um, three weeks into doing that, Monday before last, 9.30 in the evening, we'd put our youngest, who's 12, to bed. And suddenly we hear this little voice, Mommy! Mommy! Like this. So Sammy goes running upstairs. And we assume he's puked up. That's why I was very keen. I actually did the old... Uh, he's calling for you thing. Raise your hand. Anyone else who's ever done that? Yes. Just, just three of us. And, and, and then she's upstairs, and I hear her. She goes, Pete, Pete. I think, oh, my goodness. It's bad. So I go upstairs. He's sitting bolt upright in bed, and this is what he says. He says, I need God in my life. Like the first time he's articulated that. I need God in my life. I want to pray that prayer thing so I had the unspeakable privilege of kneeling down with my 12-year-olds and praying him through uh, the sinner's prayer and um, I just need to switch the video off for this bit if that's okay are we being recorded? going off you know whatever it is could record very good excellent so let's this is the point about dialogue that we we're working out specifically God I want you to do this And we're also listening to him, God, what are you saying? Have you got words from the Lord for those you're overseeing, for your churches, for your kids? I can tell you exactly what I want God to do with Emmaus Road. I can tell you exactly the number one prayer request I've got for 24-7 right now. And I've not only worked out what it is I want him to do, but I've asked the Lord, what's your promise? And it helps me to pray with greater faith. Just another thing on, on dialogue with God in prayer that has helped me a great deal is this. You you may well know this. You're probably much better read than me, but it came to me as quite a surprise. I hadn't quite realized this before, but, you know, there are two types of petitionary prayer. If we're talking about that kind of prayer that is asking God to do stuff, and there is passive petitionary prayer, and there is active petitionary prayer and if we look at the book of Psalms we see both models so someone with my Bible just stopped working can someone pass me a Bible Bible in a book it's absolutely yeah so just grab uh, grab Psalm chapter 4 in your Bibles what's really interesting too is that we're gonna see that passive petitionary prayer tends to get associated with night prayers and active petitionary prayers with morning prayers. And so perhaps we need to vary our diet a little bit through the day in how we pray. So let's look at Psalm 4 first of all. This This is a night prayer. See if you can hear this. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God give me relief from my distress be merciful to me and hear my prayer prayer how long O men will you turn my glory into shame how long will you love delusions and seek false gods know that the lord has set apart the godly for himself the lord will hear when i call to him it's quite interesting you almost don't know whether david is talking to god or himself here can you hear this he's almost speaking to his own soul offer right sacrifices and trust in the lord many are asking who can show us any good Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. Listen, I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. There's a a sense in this psalm. It's night time. He's preparing to lie down and sleep. And he's speaking words. He's wrestling with challenges from the day and he's speaking words of peace to himself. It's almost as though David is... Putting his soul to rest before sleep, speaking to himself, speaking to God, choosing to rejoice. You have filled my heart with greater joy. I will lie down and sleep in in peace. And and then, if you look at Psalm five, you see a very different uh, dynamic. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray, in the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. And, and this is, there's an active petition. It's, a, it's the start of a day, and he's saying, God, do this. I'm laying this before you. I want this from you. So if you have half an hour of prayer a day, why don't you think of splitting it into two? And at night doing passive petitionary where it's much more just reflect on the day, thank God for it, calm your soul, prepare for sleep, don't try and solve the world's problems and then maybe in the morning do the God I'm asking for this today please do this, I'll tell you what it looks like for me, it looks like my dog I have a dog, I have to take her out for a little walk before you know, bed or it's very messy in the morning And it's brilliant discipline because then I have 15 minutes, it's probably more like 10 minutes actually, where I just walk around and she's off sniffing and I'm just saying, thank you for today, Lord. Lord, I'm troubled about this. Just give me peace. And I'm preparing my soul to sleep. Does that make sense? It seems you just get taught prayer. But there are so many nuances to a real relationship with God. And uh, it, it... when I, I, I got this from Eugene Peterson, but when, I, I, when it, it, the lights went on, I started reading the Psalms and went, Oh, it's all over here. Yeah, this is one they said in the morning. Oh, this is one they said at night. And some of it was, of course, uh, as part of the cultic prayer life of the, uh, of the people of Israel, corporate. And some was personal. Finally, are you still with me? Okay, good. How are we doing for time? Are we... Okay. Okay, finally, uh, just the fourth key, and then we'll just get some chat going, if that's okay. I hope, you know, most of you guys know all this already, and you're way ahead of me on all these things, okay? But maybe there are one or two things that are useful for even passing on to others. But finally, distinctiveness in prayer. Learn to find your own prayer language. I don't just mean tongue. Pray the way God made you, not the way he made your mentor. Not the way he made your wife or your husband. Pray the way God made you. And it will become natural rather than forced. You know... one one thing that's really helped me is so so many of the prayer books you know books about prayer are written by introverts and they they give lots of teaching about being still and sort of emptying your mind I I just thought I'm a failure at prayer I found it so hard to do and I began to realize some of it is just because I'm, I'm quite an extrovert in terms of my process externally so that means I have to write down my prayers if I'm on my own I have to stick them in a journal, I have to speak them out loud, because alone in my head, I'm just nowhere. And, and another thing was, I started to find, uh, I do what I call kinetic prayer, which is movement. Now, I'm not talking about liturgical dance or any of this stuff. I just, I just find that actually, if I go out for a run, or I get on the cross trainer at the gym, with a scripture in my head, I find it much easier to pray when I'm moving than when I'm sitting still, and no one ever told me that was Okay. And I think it's one of the challenges we have with getting men praying. Uh, Forgive me if this is a stereotype, but I remember I went to a particular uh, zoo once in Kansas City. And my uh, oldest son was probably about seven. And he had his little girlfriend (laughs) with him who was about eight. And we're walking down this sort of path through this sort of safari area. We came around this corner. And for no apparent reason, there was like a old spitfire or something half buried in the ground. You know how sometimes they just put interesting things out? And it's really funny because the girl, Megan, she came around the corner, saw this plane, it's a very peculiar thing to suddenly see, and just froze. You can see she's looking at it, trying to make sense of it. Hudson, my son, came around, saw it, ran straight past her, went up to it, and he just kicked it. Have you ever noticed that some people, they stop and they consider and assess and analyze? Others, they just need to kick it to find out what it is. Pray the way God made you. If you're more likely to kick the plane than stop and think about it, what does that look like in prayer? Does that make sense? And honestly, those of you who find it easy just to be still and reflect and enter the inner world, there's a lot of great materials out there. Those of you who actually are quite active, physical, tactile, kinetic, any of you who've done any teacher training know that there's a lot of this in, in the classroom. You know, how do you teach boys stuff because they often you know, want to touch things and want to hold things. It's in the doing they learn. It's, this is ter- t- terrible stereotyping but it is, ter- you know. Uh, but, but let's start to develop models of prayer and legitimize them with our people um, that, 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 that work. Let me give you an extreme example. It's just a bit of fun really. But my friend Paul Weston got a whole bunch of non-Christians praying at a prayer meeting. It sounds really spiritual, but let me tell you how he did it. In his church hall, he put up a, in Cup, he put up a um, goal, football goal, he got a load of footballs, and he, and, and he said to all these hoodies, just, um, if there is a goal, what do you want them to do for you? And write it on a football. And then he put their best goalie in goal, and he said to these kids, if you can score, your prayer will get answered. So, so the, the hoodies initially are like, yeah, whatever. But of course the ball's not going in. And being boys, after, before long they're doing full on sort of curving into, and they're pretty much yelling hallelujah when it goes in the top left corner. I come back to my earlier point. Let's start to use the creativity and imagination that we've applied to musical worship and start thinking what might that look like for how we help individuals but also groups to grow in prayer. And coming back onto ourselves, let's develop ways of praying that work for us. I remember my friend Reuben came to know Jesus. He's the local fire-breathing juggler, dreadlocks, tie-dyed sort of clothes, and he's moved into our house. And I remember coming back, I came through the front door and I could just see through the living room door which had a glass panel in it and Reuben was there, and he would put his little new Bible on the back of a sofa, and for some reason he would put, really, put blues on the stereo, really loud, and he was there like reading the Psalms to John Lee Hooker, like this dreadlocked, tide eyed weirdo, and he's kind of like, my feet are on the rock, and he's doing all this. As I come to the door, and being a bloke, I'm just about to take the mickey out of him, and then I suddenly stopped and thought, hang on, this is fantastic it's weird, no one's ever told him that's how to pray or how not to pray but he's learning how to do it for himself. So let's find our own prayer languages. Maybe it's quiet and still, maybe it's kinetic, maybe it's external praying, maybe it's internal praying. It's interesting the first person who is described as being filled with the Spirit in the Bible was neither prophet, priest nor king, but an artist called Bezalel, whose job was to make the prayer room a place where it was easier to talk to God. I remember stepping into the very first 24-7 prayer room and there was this bit of graffiti on the wall. A particular few words of a Bible verse had been graffitied up there. And I realized I can either patronize this and say, oh that's nice, one of the young people's done some Christian graffiti. or I can stop and think I wonder how long that took four or five hours and when did I last spend four to five hours meditating on eight words of scripture as we start to liberate prayer from mere words we enter a whole new realm of encounter and interaction with God So, it starts with desire. Have we lost our desire? Good thing to think about is how do we... If we have a community, if we have a group, if we have a church that's lost its desire, how can we provoke hunger? No point in, in introducing a prayer strategy or prayer model if there's no hunger. If we've lost our own hunger, how can we get it back? Discipline. Other disciplines. Is there accountability we can build into our lives, not just to avoid sin, but to pursue the Father? Dialogue. we growing and listening to God. Making stay, space to be still. Praying the promises. Praying specific prayers. Sometimes praying passive petitions. Sometimes active petitions. Sometimes just contemplation, adoration. And finally. Are we finding our distinctive voice in prayer? Learning to pray the way God made us. Okay, questions, comments, thoughts. Might just be something, a bunny trail you've gone on as I've been speaking uh, that might be useful to share for others, but um, who's first? Okay, I'm going to throw this back at you. The question is, how do we provoke hunger? Give me some ideas. How could we provoke hunger in a comfortable group of people who frankly have lost that zeal and desire for God yeah 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 brilliant so for the recording, just if you've lost the longing, long for the longing. You know, and, it, and I think it even before that has to begin with admitting that you've lost the longing. It which, which sounds obvious, but it it might be something God's just dropped in one or two hearts even here today. Um, and let's create an environment where people know it's okay to admit that. Because it sounds like blasphemy. You know, I don't really get that feel that excited about God right now it's like <gasps> how can you say that because all our songs are all I want is you but actually we need to create a culture it's okay to admit that because that's where actually longing begins is the admit, admission that you've lost your longing so want to want and all that stuff so yeah asking admitting what else testimonies why is sharing testimonies help provoke hunger totally Totally. So the more we we share the stories of faith, the more exactly people think. The 14-year-old, it ain't ain't rocket science. If you tell them, oh, this girl had leukemia, we prayed for her, she got healed, every single one of them, anyone who's sick, is going to want to pray. And uh, so we've got to keep doing that. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what is it that makes you uh, angry and allow that, to, you know, allow the things to break God's heart, to break your heart too. And, and sometimes it's just a little bit of leadership on that. It's like I said earlier, don't just say, let's pray for Syria. Play them that video clip that if they've got half a pulse, is going to move them. And then it will overflow in prayer. They're not going to say, I don't desire God right now. They're just going to be like, I mean, I had this Tuesday. You know, someone showed me a picture of what a room in a particular brothel um that he just visited uh, looks like uh, it just uh, you know and these kids and you know the anger that welled up in me it was nothing to do with am i feeling spiritual or not it was just oh so yeah and what was that thing rob your that lovely question that you've been asking everybody So I guess you're all familiar with that. That's such a great question. Rob's guys have been going around just asking people the question, what hurts the most? And of course everybody on earth has got an answer to that question. That's the genius of it. And then the other genius is that it's then plastering the prayer room in the answers to that question. You know, I sometimes think the reason we don't pray for our neighbours is we just don't get close enough to them. If you really get to know your neighbours beyond the just superficial and you start to find out what's really going on in their lives, you'll start to care. And if you care, you'll turn that to prayer, won't you? So, yeah. Anything else on how we provoke hunger? Yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Brilliant so let's let's find the triggers and that's probably partly something to do with your own language of prayer as well there's something about so for some people there'll be a particular um, musician that just gets through to you in a way no one else does a particular author you know h- h- there are times when you know, every church leader has to go through that Henri now and phase right you know it just gets to you or, or, or you may well have particular people that provoke hunger in you you get around them and you just go Oh yeah, I remember. I remember what I'm living for. They have a contagious faith, right? Or there may be particular places. I have two particular places that are, you know, my Bethels. You would just say it's an ordinary place, but for me, I know what's happened there in the past. So, but I ration how often I go there because I don't want to to become over familiar. When I go, God knows there's something going on. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So find the people, find the places, find the authors, find the music. Uh, find the tracks find the scriptures that defibrillate your sleeping heart, right? Very cool. Yeah Very good so for the recording uh, Bill Johnson just starts at Psalm 1 and reads right the way through you can start at Leviticus chapter 1 if you like, but it'll take you longer. <laughs> um, very cool. Brian, have you got anything to add on this? Any thoughts? You're playing Angry Birds, will not you? Poor, poor old Brian, he's heard it all before. Taking notes, yeah. Very cool. Any other questions or comments? prophetic words and letting them, letting them live again, absolutely. We, we have to legitimize more expressions of prayer uh, and i couldn't agree more I, mean, I, I remember once going um walking in the mountains in scotland which you know I, I try to do regularly because i almost always have a great time with god when i do so it's become a spiritual discipline for me delightful one to get out up in the mountains and so you know, often it means that the family goes on a holiday to Scotland or the Lake District at least once a year and I bag one of the days to go for a walk on my own which sometimes feels very selfish with, I mean, especially when the kids were little and leaving Sammy on her own uh, and so I got my precious day in the mountains and um, I don't know, I just did the day I came back and on the way back, almost back at the house I realised I've hardly talked to God at all and I just felt such a failure I thought, oh, this is my day, you know this is, this is the delightful discipline I tell people about and they think, wow, what a holy guy, I have not talked to you, God I just say, oh, I'm so sorry And I really began to reflect on that and realized that God quite enjoyed just going on a walk with me and us not having to articulate too many things but I was definitely consciously doing it with God there's no question about that, I just have not gone through my prayer list Now, if we never articulate something, we never do the, what what do you want me to do? We're in trouble. But if we only ever throw words at heaven, then it's a very peculiar relationship because I don't talk to my wife incessantly. Sometimes it... No, I won't continue. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, radical obedience moves us out of our comfort zones, and suddenly we we need God and we pray. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think I think in, in, sometimes in discipling younger people as well. You know, I remember getting a major breakthrough with a particular person, a particular girl who, you know, she's just comfortable, and it wasn't until she went to Addis Ababa with a a team suddenly it was defibrillation it was a wake-up time and she came back profoundly uh, changed so yeah i love that old story about you know the guy who went up to a prophet and said shaking with rage he said 30 years ago you gave me a word that i'd go to africa as a missionary and it's never happened and you know why hasn't it happened and the prophet just looked at him and said did you ever buy a ticket you know Uh, And so maybe prayer begins with just obedience. Yeah, it's good. Brian. yeah I mean I so like, here's one of my prayer lists because I'm quite I'm very visual some of you will be somewhere so I actually found a prayer list didn't help me very much but there's numbers of different categories of different teams I lead different uh, leaders within that on different days of the week there's Brian your Wednesday Brian and and this column is people I pray for every day if Brian gets like into a real mess he'll bump up into that column and he'll become a daily right now I feel like he'll just about cope on a weekly and and so but uh, it took me a bit of time but actually I find it really helpful and I'm praying for people to be looking at them so um, that's again just part of my my prayer language why don't we just um, do the to break the taboo now and just get into twos and threes if it's okay Mike and let's talk to one another about our prayer lives. <laughs> is this okay? And, and, and the deal is, guys, it's just grace, 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 grace. You know, it may be that your thing is, you know, I just really struggle. Remember where we started, the disciples going, Lord, teach us to pray. That's where 24-7 really came from in terms of my story, was me just getting this pace of, I, I planted two churches, and I, I just I have a terrible prayer life. Help me, God. I want to know you. But equally, I want people who, you know, God has shown you things. He has blessed you. He has helped you to grow in prayer. Please don't dumb that down because it's such an encouragement. It's never showing off in a context to say, I love to pray or or, this is what really works for me. Um, So let's just share honestly about maybe some of our disciplines, some of our rhythms, some of the things God's been saying to us. Um, And also let's just... um, you know, if if there are particular struggles uh, or particular insights. I think it would be great just to have an open conversation with one another about uh, prayer. Is that okay? Is that okay, Mike? Great. I don't know. how, How do you want to do this?